Welcome back to the conversation. Do I have a treat for you this week? And I know, I know you're going to say, S&T, you say that every week, but it's true every week because I only bring the best every week, baby, to the conversation. And I got, I have my very own sister girlfriend, the one and the only Amy Valella, baby. Amy, how you doing tonight? I'm doing good. I'm so happy to be here with you. I'm so happy that you are here with me. Oh my God, let's just go and set it ablaze. You know, I thought I said, you know, I could just read her bio the way that people usually do. And then I said, you know what? Let me tell, let me let her tell her story. So if somebody were to ask you, who is Amy Valella? What would you say? Well, I would say, you know, I definitely have had a life that's had a lot of experiences that a lot in the working class would relate to. You know, I have been that single mom who's had to depend on Medicaid and WIC and food stamps and been unhoused. You know, I've also experienced pain that no one should have to experience and losing my daughter Shalin. It's been it's been a, a journey, a journey that I know you've been on with me from the beginning, sisters, you know, lifting each other up. Um, you know, it's it's created in me a fire and a drive to fight to make sure that we have real change that makes you know tangible uh, difference in people's lives. And uh, it's what motivates me and gets me up every day. And you are, now let's not just gloss over your professional experience because a lot of times women unfortunately do not get their just due for the experiences that they have. Uh, you were, I mean, you have your own, company, so you are a small business owner, but you've also throughout your professional career have worked in corporate America as a CFO. Uh, talk to us a little bit about, about that experience and what, what made you want to go into the finance sector? <laughs> well, you know, when I went to school, uh, I used to look at all the art majors and I was so jealous, but I knew that wasn't going to pay the bill as a single mom. Um, I actually went to college in the evenings as uh, I worked during the day and uh, put myself through college because I knew I had to provide for my family. Uh, and you know, it's it's difficult even with a college degree as a woman to be able to make enough to provide for a family. So I went into finance and I I really bought into that false narrative that if I just worked hard enough that my family would be safe. So I worked my butt off. I knew what it was like to struggle and I knew the pain of watching my kids, you know, go without. Uh, I remember for 2 years I had a story I tell a lot, but I I ate, you know, processed cheese sandwiches every night just so I could give my kids a healthy meal. I mean, my furniture was the outdoor lawn furniture, you know, the white ones that you get from the Walmart. Yes. <laughs> so, I'm really struggling and you know, I finally made it through. I became a CFO. I really I really made sure that I was in the nonprofit field for the majority of of my career, working especially with children with special needs. And what drove me was that my own child had, you know, he was on the autism spectrum. And so I was very interested in making sure that those needs, you know, were met. Um, and so that was my introduction to the the world of of business. I also worked for you know for profit companies as well. So I understood you know what happens behind closed doors and in the business you know meetings. And I understand you know a hundred percent that businesses exist really to increase the wealth of their shareholders. So you know losing my daughter Shalin as I did 
um, simply because she couldn't provide proof of insurance when she was in need of care um, in 2015. When I started putting all the pieces together and really putting together the piece specifically on the role that corporate money plays in politics and why we don't get anything done. You know, I knew at that point I had to make a change. I couldn't go back to that lifestyle. And you know, I knew that if we're only as safe as the most vulnerable in our communities. And that really, the death of Shalin really reminded me of that. And you know, my eyes were open to the injustice and the absolute destructive, you know, destructiveness of ineffective leadership. Uh, that we have going on in our system right now, and it boils down to money and politics. It really does, and the commodification of healthcare is one of the worst. I remember you and I met uh, in New York at a single payers conference in New York. That's where I was able to make meet you and your husband, and just that chance encounter. Maybe it wasn't a chance encounter. I think looking back on it now, that it was destiny that after absolutely brought us together and uh, your husband spotted me first and for <laughs> to be to be able to you know, my husband loves you <laughs> I know I, I love him too but to be at that moment you know to be able to commune with you both and to have you even just tell a little bit of your daughter's story and also in tears and we were total strangers to one another yes so I don't want to you know I I, my my question for you in this moment is just walking people, not necessarily how we met. I'm so glad that we came into each other's lives and we have been uh, dear friends ever since. But if you can, and I know it, it's challenging sometimes to tell the story, can you just walk us through what makes you such a staunch, and I mean staunch advocate, fighter for, pusher for, universal healthcare in the United States of America and, and just tell a little more of Shalin's story. Like walk us through. I already know it, but I want you to share it because it is so compelling. You know, Shalin was a, a really, really magnificent daughter. She was so full of life. She was funny. And uh, she was such a go-getter. And I used to call her my little hustler. Uh, she was going to school to become an RN. She was working multiple jobs as a CNA, uh, very self-sufficient. Uh, she decided to move back home to Las Vegas. She was in, about to turn 22 and she was super excited about the prospect of going to school in Las Vegas. You know, I can only imagine why. <laughs> uh, and so she drove uh, 22 hours from Kansas City uh, here home into Las Vegas. And the first thing that she said when she arrived was, mom, look at my leg. You know, it's it's really red and it's swollen. And I, and all my infinite medical wisdom said, you know, Shalyn, it must be just you sat on it wrong. Just give it a couple days. You know, Shalyn, um, little did we know, was sitting on a time bomb. She, She's black and she had sickle cell trait. She was on birth control. She had just driven 22 hours on a healing torn ACL and she had a red swollen leg. Everything I just mentioned are risk factors and symptoms for a blood clot. And she went to a local ER uh, here in Las Vegas because the pain eventually got too much for her. And she called me on the phone, I was out of town on business. And she's like, mom, it's it's really hurting. I'm here at the front desk, they're telling me I can leave now. Or it's gonna cost a lot, it won't cost me anything if I go, but there's something really wrong with my leg. I'm like, Shalyn, don't worry about it. You know, Just be seen, we'll deal with the cost and the insurance later on. 
And then she called me again and she's like, mom, you know, I'm begging them for something for the pain. And this point she's crying. You know, she's like, this hurts so much and they, they won't give me the testing I need. There's something really wrong with my leg. And they've told me to go get insurance and see a specialist. They weren't a doctor's office. We're talking about a simple bedside ultrasound would have saved my daughter's life. And instead, they sent her home. She did what they told her. She applied for Medicaid through, you know, Nevada because you know, or she wasn't able to get it through her job yet. She was, you know, writing different specialists, but time wasn't on her side. And because they didn't do the bare minimum of a necessary screen, medical screening, she got on a plane to go back to Kansas City to finalize paperwork to get her schooling in order. And I remember that call and uh, her father incoherently telling me, you know, Shalin's coding, she's coding. And I'm like, what do you mean Shalin's coding? And uh, he's like, get out here now, Amy. And so I got on a plane and my son got on a plane and we're in our pajamas even with flip flops on. He must have looked to a site going through the airport. Um, I was having the, you know, the pilots take me from one plane to another. And I remember as soon as I could see my family at the airport, I just fell to my knees. I'm like, is Shalin still alive? I that that was the hardest couple hours knowing that my daughter could possibly be on her deathbed. And when I walked in there, I knew that the Shalin that I knew and loved was gone. And she was, you know, intubated. She was hemorrhaging from every orifice in her body. She was, you know, at that point, her eyes would flicker open every time she would overbreathe the vent. And I would just keep telling her, and her eyes just fight, Shalin, please fight. And when the moment came when we knew she was brain dead, um, you know, they told me, you know, Amy, you need to leave now because it's not going to be pretty when we re- remove the breathing tube. And I said, absolutely not. I'm going to stay right here with her. And I remember just holding her hand and I kept saying, Shalin, mommy's right here. I'm right here, Shalin. It's okay. Mom's right here. And then I climbed into bed and I held her as she took her last breaths. And I just kept singing to her the songs I used to sing to her as a baby and telling her, you know, I love you, Shalin. I love you so much. And I knew at this point injustice had happened because my sister was an RN at this hospital. And they were like, what do you mean they didn't do a blood work or an ultrasound? The clot was all the way from her ankle up to her groin. And she's like telling me, so I, the last thing I ever said to Shalin before she took her last breath was, you will not have died in vain. I'm going to fight for you. And I didn't know what that fight was. It wasn't until I met you. And I know I've, we've talked about this a lot, you and I, you know, the struggle of us, you know, being in, in this fight, this fight against, you know, the establishment, the fight against moneyed interest. It takes a lot. And you know, meeting you, I have told you this, it really did save my life. And it helped me find a way to funnel all of that pain and that righteous anger, right, into action. And that's what I, you know, we need to bring to Congress. It's not enough to be in co-sponsors and name only. We need to have people in Congress that have this lived experience. I know what it's like to fight. I know what it's like to get up after my daughter died and take myself every single day and find a way to fight back, to get out into the communities, to start organizing, to reaching out to others. That's what we need in Congress. We need people who are gonna bring that lived experience to Congress and fight like our lives depend on it because the lives quite literally do. 
We're talking about lives right now. That's what this fight's about. And so, you know, we I'm gonna continue this. I'm gonna bring that fight with me to Congress. That drive, I know how to get up and organize. I know how to pull through hard situations. And we that's what we need to get bills not only to get to the floor, but to pass through Congress. No doubt about it. And uh, I'm tearing up for you. And I wanted you to take that time to be able to tell your story, Shalene's story, because somebody out there who is watching us or maybe they're just listening, they might be kind of multitasking, they're going to stop and think that that could have been them. It is really out of the natural order of things for a parent uh, to have to bury their child. It is supposed to be the other way around, and, and, and most often it is the other way around. And I just, rem- just such strength uh, that you have to use what happened to you, what happened to Shalene, as the push for you to stand up for this cause that is greater and bigger than you. I mean, what is more fundamental than being able to have universal health care in the United States of America? You know, I think health care. Clean water, clean air, clean food, the basics, and unfettered access to the ballot box. You know, those things. There should not be any argument among political parties or ideologies about those basic human human things that people should have. But back to you, Amy Villella. I mean, you are one of the strongest people I know, one of the strongest women that I know. Because I'm not so sure, and I and I know what a mother's love, you know, is is like. I have a son myself, and I would give my life uh, for my son. And I have grandchildren now that I'm blessed for blessed with, and I feel the same way. <laughs> super, super cute, super smart, Amy. I'm gonna let them know. Now, cute. Judge Judy once said, "Beauty, dumb is forever. Beauty fades, but dumb is forever." So I'm gonna make sure they understand <laughs> that. But for you to take the trauma that your family suffered through because simply because simply this is simple folks the commodification of healthcare I, I think it just bears repeating Amy when you said they said to your daughter go and get some health care basically go get some health care and then come back and see us right but until you get health care we really don't care about what happens to you and that lack of care right cause all of the things that happen after it caused every single thing that happened after happened to Shalin. And there are lots of Shalins in this country, Amy. Yes. Right. And that's why you fight so hard. Yep. I can't save Shalin. I can't. I can fight in her honor and I can make sure that her life has meaning and that I can be her voice. But you know, let's let's get real. We're not they're not in the business of healthcare in this country. Our hospitals, our, our entire healthcare systems are in the business of healthcare. This is business 101. They're in the business of increasing the wealth of their shareholders. That is why they exist. And then there has been, you know, challenges even in the Supreme Court when, you know, energy companies wanted to invest in green energy and their shareholders took them to court and said, "No, you're taking away our our dividends and our our return on our investment." And so they were and and the judge sided with them. That is what our system is. They are they are here for the bottom line. We have to change this. And we cannot rely on the status quo leadership we have now. We need people who have skin in the game that actually are not bought and sold that are ready to go to fight and as you and i both know that you know it's a very difficult thing but it's that it's that that loss 
And that that complete devastation, which you've experienced through some of your your life experiences that you and I've talked about with your lovely mom, and 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 your grandma's influence on you with the three bones, you know, knowing that it takes that kind of drive to make us get up in the morning and fight against the system. I always tell people, you know, when I'm talking to people face to face, that you know, there it would take. If they wanted to buy me out, it would actually take someone being able to resurrect my daughter. I really don't see that happening anytime oh, soon, no. but, but that's what it would take. Because that is the cost, right, for ineffectual leadership. And I understand that. And there's so many families that are going through this, whether it's from healthcare, whether it's from police brutality, whether it's from other forms of injustice, or just even struggle. Life is too short and people's happiness matters. People's security matters, their family matters. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm super excited to be in this movement with you. Um, and uh, I'm super excited also to have you coming to, to Las Vegas to, to help us out there to so keep an ear out. Um, we got to continue this fight. We have to get up every, dot, every day and remembering what this fight is about. And it's about people's lives. It's about people's happiness, their families. And that's what keeps me motivated, you know, and knowing that I could be in the work that actually saves lives. That's Amen to that, Amy. And any at any moment, especially a health catastrophe, could wipe out anybody. And that's another thing, you know, for us to talk about losing loved ones from a sick care system. A lot of doctors call the system not a health care system; it's a sick care system, and it's sick in many ways. One is sick because it doesn't deal with a lot of prevention that we can have. Because why industries, pharmaceutical companies, they wouldn't make as much money. That we were really focused on preventative care. And then secondly, it's sick in the way that it operates because it commodifies healthcare and leaves people vulnerable like your daughter. But let's just, Amy, talk about the fact that even if one does not die immediately, anybody in this country, if you are not among the ultra wealthy, and I mean multimillionaire level and, and to billionaire level, that what you have right now even if you're in the upper echelons of the middle class, can be wiped out by one health catastrophe. And that is what the system breeds. And most of the bankruptcies, as we know, Amy, link mm -hmm. to medical debt. Right. And even people who have insurance. I mean, again, what's insurance? What what is it? It's a company, it's a corporation. They make money off you not paying for your services. Why do you have to sit on the phone so long? Why is there so, you know, so many services denied and people denied life-saving treatment, right? And it's not doctors on the other end of the line that are denying your treatment. It's not anyone who has any medical experience. It's someone who's been trained to find ways to deny you service. And you're right, I mean, people are going into debt, they're going bankrupt, they're rationing their medication, they're going to GoFundMe's. I mean, and this is just this is just one thing. This is just healthcare, and they're all intersectional. You know, climate injustice has a huge impact on healthcare justice, right? We can't have healthcare justice without having climate or racial justice, right? It doesn't, you know, like go past me that you know all those things played a part in Shalin's death as well. Um, so you know we we have to fight this on all levels, on all levels, and it's it's really uh, it's a fight that I am I'm happy to be a part of, and I'm I'm happy that we have people who are ready to go in there and and get get into the game and like let's start making some change, some real change. Absolutely, so glad that you're in this fight. What we're saying that these decisions are based on public policy, and so we can make yeah. different policies. 
and really answer to the needs of the American people. Amy, they're right with us, contrary to what some talking heads spin. Most American people do believe that we should have universal health care, paid family yep. leave, that people should be able to collectively bargain, you know, without being right. abused and misused and threatened by their employer just because they're trying to form a union, and that those who are in unions should be able to sit down across the table from yep. management and say, we need higher wages, we need better benefits, and we need better work conditions. And that lifts everybody. And that really is what our agenda is all about, Amy, is lifting people. I am so glad that you are in this fight. So tell us a little bit about your race, because now we know the why. It is very clear why Amy Valella is running for Congress. And again, and I am so glad that she is, because it takes a lot of courage and heart to get back in the fight. We need champions, not just people who vote the right way, as you said, Amy, not just people that, no, people who are going to fight right. for the poor, the working poor, and the barely middle class. So now tell us, how how is your campaign going right now? And how can people reach you? What is the, the website, the, the email? How, do, how, how, how does one get involved? Should they choose to get involved in, in your campaign? We really would love to have the support and we need the support. We are going against big money interest. We're going against corporate money. That is what is at, and what's at stake here is, you know, yet having another status quo politician in office. We need fighters, people who are willing to go out there and be bold and organize around the clock, you know, and use every tool at their disposal to get the get the, the necessary legislation that we need to affect true change. And I know in Las Vegas, you know, we have some of the highest, you know, rates for unaffordable housing. We have an eviction crisis right now. We have, you know, we have need for we have the intersection really of climate justice, racial justice, environmental justice, and healthcare justice. We we really are a center for all of those needs. And we're on the forefront of that fight. And what we need right now really is people to, to donate to the campaign so that we can get out there and get the message to people at their doors, meet them where they're at. You know, Las Vegas is a 24 hour city. So we have to have a really robust field program to reach everyone. We are ready in Las Vegas. We have amazing activists in Las Vegas that are you know getting ready to hit the ground. They wanna get this done. We need to add more power to, to Washington DC to the progressive movement. So definitely please visit, visit my website website at amyvilela.org. And uh, please, please make a donation. Um, we definitely need that support. And we need money for the mission. And folks will see that we have your website up where they can go to amyvilela.org. And they can donate at actblue.com donate amy-web-donate and they can volunteer because we need time, talent and treasure. So please, you can volunteer from anywhere in the in the, in the world actually but anywhere in the country and that's amyvalella.org uh, slash volunteer it's all up on the screen amy uh you are a tremendous light in the world and we need more amy valellas in congress we need more amy valellas on the state level of government we need more amy valellas on the local level of government because you have what far too many uh, politicians do not have you have a servant's heart and you are Bold as hell. I can say the word hell. You bold <laughs> as hell. And I and I and I love you for your boldness and for your courage. You know, it was Mother Jones once said, and all you do never be ladylike, baby. And all she was saying is bring the thunder, the lightning, and the rain. 
And amen, let's bring it. You do just that. We 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 gonna bring that thing together. Yes. So so much love, love for you, Amy. Uh, so glad that you are running again. So glad that you are the champion that you are, and you have a unique positioning when it comes to agitating and aggravating and being an activist when it comes to Medicare for all. Love you, Amy Vadella. Vadella, listen, TYT, Team TYT. But we got to be out there. It takes team work to make the dream work. So please listen to your sister. I'm supporting. I am supporting Amy Vallela. So let me make no mistake about that. I want to see her go to Congress, and I want to see her be able to use her skills, her talent, everything that the creator has given her to be in service to on another level of service because she's already serving right now. If you want to send a true public servant to that Congress to be among other servant leaders then Amy Valella is the one. Amy, I love you, darling. This has been the, I love you. This has been the conversation. You know what I want you to do. I want you to keep the faith. But most importantly, baby, keep the fight.